you know, I preach at a lot of different kinds of churches, a lot of, mostly United Methodists, but preaching most, they're different. And sometimes it takes, takes me 30 minutes of preaching to get the people out of the doldrums the music's got them into. Does that make sense? Say yes or no. Um, I ask permission to preach from down here. Is that okay with you guys? Uh, that, that pulpit just kind of limits me. It comes around you and it won't let you go. And uh, I mean, it's fine for you guys, but I just, I, I move around a lot. So let me uh, thank uh, Brian for coming. I don't know if you guys know Brian. He's the pastor at First Church uh, in town and, uh, you know, the big church kind of stuff. Brian was my district superintendent, two district superintendents ago, I guess, and um, when I was at Monroe first, and, uh, and I don't say this to embarrass him, I've told him this, he was, I've been preaching 51 years, and he's the best district superintendent I've ever had. Um, just, I, I got, I want to tell stories, Brian, but I just, I guess I probably shouldn't, but they're just, uh, some of the stuff that he's done, he did was just outstanding in my life, and uh, I appreciate him so, so very much. I, um, I'm always, thank you for being here. I'm always surprised anybody ever shows up after one time. Uh, but thank you all for being here. I appreciate that. A couple of things. Um, you know, the early circuit riders, um, Asbury and Coke and all the preachers they had riding on horses with them, they, they carried books with them wherever they went. They had the saddlebags full of books. I don't have saddlebags. I got a box. Uh, I haven't written a book. I've got, I've got one started on the Wesleyan view of the Holy Spirit. I started it about 15 years ago. I finished the foreword. Um, I've got it in me. I just can't get it out of me, you know? I mean, it's there. By the way, tomorrow night, uh, I'll be preaching on the Holy Spirit. If there's, a, if there's one sermon, if I'm dying and only preach one more sermon, it's going to be that sermon. Uh, I think there's more misunderstanding about the Holy Spirit. I'm sorry to be so close to you guys. You're right. I'll try not to spit so much, uh, you know. But uh, I, I love preaching on the Holy Spirit. I think there's a, there's a lot of misunderstanding. Uh, I love the Wesleyan view. I love, I think, what Scripture teaches. Um, it's, it's, it's what's missing in most people's lives. And I think uh, tomorrow night will be a powerful. And then I, I'm not sure about Tuesday night. Uh, I may teach you how to walk on water Tuesday night. I'm, I'm heading that direction. And the last night, uh, Wednesday night, we're going to have a healing service. Uh, if you don't know anybody that needs healing, if you don't need healing, or if you don't know anybody that needs healing physically or spiritually or emotionally or relationally, you don't need to come. I've never met anybody like you, that, if that's the case, because everybody knows somebody that needs healing if you don't need healing yourself. Uh, it won't be weird. We won't be hanging from the chandeliers, you know, but uh, it'll be what James 5 says. It'll be scripturally based. So anyway, also, I, I did bring some books. I was getting on that subject when I got off. Um, two books that I recommend, um, especially one, and I've only got a couple of these. I'm sorry I ran out. Uh, on Tiptoe with Joy, it's a message. It's sermons, not mine. Sermons on the Spirit-Filled Life by J.T. Siemens, uh, one of my professors at Asbury. Um, easy to read, just, just $9. And then this book, Dr. Dennis Kenlaw was my mentor. Uh, I claim that. 
but so did about 2,000 other people uh, that he mentored. Um, one of the greatest men of God I've ever known. Uh, the most humble, scholar, uh, professor, seminary professor, college president, um, wrote this book. Most of Dr. Kinlaw's books, and I would tell him this if he were around, he's going to be with the Lord now, but they're up here. He's got a PhD from a Jewish university in Eucharistic languages. And they're, they're, it's, they're good. I just, I'm just not that smart to understand a lot of them. This is a devotional book, and it is the best. I used to say Oswald Chambers, my utmost for his highest, was my favorite. It's now my second favorite. This is my favorite. And I, I meant to bring my copy tonight. I got it over at the motel, but uh, it is marked up. The whole front of it is marked up. The back of it, I read it every day, all, uh, all year after year after year. So anyway, these are like $15. If you don't have $15... Uh, Brian will pay for it, or uh, or uh, somebody will pray for it. Really, I'm serious. Just take it if you don't have any money for that. Or if you say, well, I didn't bring any money tonight, take it anyway and bring the money back. Or if you don't have any money, just forget it. But uh, It's a wonderful, wonderful, spirit-filled uh, grace. Uh, I don't know what else to say about it. It's just a, it's a powerful book. Holiness. Uh, John Wesley said, I came to preach holiness. And that's what holiness is all about. It's a wonderful thing. Okay, let's see if I got anything else I need to say. Um, I was going to tell you about tambourine, but maybe I shouldn't do that tonight. I got several tambourines. You got all those harmonicas? I don't have that many tambourines, but I got a lot, several. One of them is shaped in the shape of a fish. Have you seen, have you seen tambourines like that? I love it. You know, I'm not, I'm, I learned to play tambourine when I was in Africa. All the kids... Everybody plays tambourines in Africa. Everybody, the whole congregation, uh, when I was in Ghana. And um, so I picked it up and I started playing it. And I was at a camp meeting in Michigan. And I had that tambourine. I took that tambourine with me. And uh, we had two of the greatest musicians that I've been around in a long, long time. Uh, two women. One played the organ and one played the piano. And they were tuning up one night. I got there early. They were tuning up and just getting things going. And, and I said, uh, and there were, and there were, but there were a good many people that had already gathered, and I was up there with them, and I said, you guys are so good. I said, but I need to tune up. And they said, what? I said, give me a C, please. And I went, okay, I said, I got it. A lady came up to me afterwards and said, Tom, oh, and before I did that, I said, I, I, people say, what are you doing? I said, I'm, I'm tuna fishing. Tuna fish. You got it, Tom? Uh, but the lady came up to me after that and said, Tom, I never realized you had to tune those things. I was so embarrassed. But anyway. All right, you ready to go? You ready? Yes. Now, guys, you've got to be really ready tonight, okay? Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn with me, please, to the Gospel of John. I gave you Jeremiah this morning. This is a little easier to find. Third chapter. Anybody know what's in the third chapter? think we can deal with that. We're going to deal with chapter 3, and then I'm going to jump over uh, to chapter 15, if you want to mark that like I'm going to do right now. John 15, but chapter 3 is where we'll start. And we'll start with the 16th verse, which is the most popular verse, I guess, in all of Scripture. So if you'll stand out of reverence for the Word of God, please, if you're able. John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. 
For God did not send his son to the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he's not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. And then over to chapter 15, just uh, 4 through 8. Let's start in verse 1. I am the vine, and you are my father is the gardener. He who cuts every branch in me bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me as I remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine, neither can the bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and my word in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in, in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be to my disciples. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Thanks be to God. Thank you. Be seated, please. Did you catch a word there the last, on that last passage? Did you catch one word that stood out? What? Remain. I love King James who says, abide. <clears throat> There's something different. This is probably my strongest Wesleyan passage in all of Scripture. You got to remain. You got to remain. You got to abide. It says, I think something like, um, like eight times it says, remain in me. I'll tell you a story. I'll tell you a lot of stories tonight. But I'm going to tell you this story. One of my preacher friends who's going to be with the Lord now, member of the North Georgia Conference, um, pastored a very large church, and he was uh, sharing with me a story that took place, a true story and, uh, about a family in his church. The family had two children, David and Anna. Uh, Anna was, a, or is, a little, um, at that time of the story, about a, about a 10-year-old prissy, Blonde, are you getting the picture? Prissy and blonde, does that say enough? David was about six years old. David was, had some learning disabilities, but he was in school, and uh, David was just a good little boy. One day, Anna and David had a fight. That's not really true. Um, David never had a fight with anybody. It's kind of a brother-sister tiff, if I might describe it that way. They just... just David got on Anna's nerves, I guess is a better way to say it. And she had just about had it. <clears throat> and finally, she just makes this pronouncement. David, I am never, never going to speak to you again as long as I live. The only problem with her pronouncement, there was a few more things that she needed to tell him, and she forgot she'd already said she wasn't going to talk to him again. But Anna's a very industrious little girl. She's a little smart little girl. And so she went into her room. She sat at her desk with a piece of paper and a pencil, and she wrote David a note. It said this, Dear David, I'm never going to speak to you again, and don't you ever come into my room again. Signed, Anna. David was in his room, and the, the, the door was shut, but she walked over there, and she took her note and defiantly just slid it under the door so David would see it. David saw the note coming in. The problem was he couldn't read very much. But he knew it was a note from his sister. And so he thought, I'll write her a note too. And David couldn't write a whole lot of words, 
But he sat at his desk with a piece of paper and a crayon, and he wrote these words. I love you. D-A-V-I-D. Walked in, found his sister, and presented the note with a smile on his face to his sister. Sister saw the note and read it, and she was very upset. He doesn't quite get it. So she went into her room, sat at her desk with a piece of paper and a pencil, and said, Dear David, don't you ever touch any of my things again. Don't you ever come into my room again. Don't you ever never speak to me again. Signed, Anna. Walked over. David was back in his room. The door was shut. She slid the note, just slid it under the door. David saw the note and said, I need to write her a note. She wrote me one. He sat at his desk and he wrote these words. I love you. For God so loved the world that no matter what you've done, where you've been, all he ever says is, I love you. I used to preach this message or something similar to this, and I used to have a title for it, and it was Heaven or Hell. Now, I don't use that title anymore, but I want to let you know I still believe in heaven with every ounce of my being. I'm excited to go. If I don't come back tomorrow night and I'm gone, just have a praise service, okay? Uh, I've always dreamed of, I don't wish this on you, but I've always dreamed of, of dying while I was preaching. Don't you think that'd be cool? Just a, I tell my wife, if I look like I'm dying, get me to a pulpit quick, you know? I'm ready. I love it. But I also believe in hell. There is a hell. Scripture's plain. I have people tell me, I believe in heaven, but I don't believe God would send anybody to hell. I don't believe in hell. And I say, you're totally irrational. You can't have a heaven without a hell. You can't have a hell without a hell. You have to have both. If you're saved, you have to be saved from something, which is hell, in order to go to heaven. And so I believe the both, both are very important. But I, it took me a long time to come to this next statement. I have finally, I finally come to the conclusion of, as I, I think that I know what God wants from me. And I think I know what God wants from you. Are you ready for this? This is a major important statement for me. This is what I think he wants. He wants an intimate, three words, an intimate, ongoing relationship with me. That's all he cares about. That's what he wants more than anything else. That's why Jesus came to the earth, to have an intimate. You understand intimacy? More intimate than any person you've ever been with. Intimacy, that's the kind of, he wants that close of an intimate. Intimacy, ongoing, that's John 15. I'm the vine, you're the branches, as long as you remain. That's good Wesleyan theology, folks. Remain in me. Intimate, ongoing relationship. Dr. Kenlaw tells me all the time, he used to tell me all the time, that's what God wants. He just wants a relationship with you. The other things will come, heaven will come, if you have that intimate, ongoing relationship. George Barnard, the great pollster for the Christian faith, says that 51%, 51% of American pastors, 51%, excuse me, I'm sorry, 51% of church people in America are not going to heaven. 
not the folks on the street, not the folks that don't come to church. He says, with all of his polling, and I read the questions. Tom, we, we would all agree with the questions that he's, if you ask the questions, and the way the people answered it, 51% are not going to go to heaven. And if that's the case, and I, I think it really is the case, and in fact, I'm not sure it's, I think it's kind of a conservative case in Methodist churches. If that's the case, then why? What don't they know? What, what's, what's wrong with preaching? What, what's going, why? Well, I think there's several misconceptions. Let me just give you two misconceptions real quickly. The first misconception I think that folks have, the reason they don't go to heaven, is you, they believe you can be good enough to go to heaven. <laughs> now, friends, you cannot be good enough. You know, you could, you can get to heaven if you're good enough, but the only problem is you've got to be 100% perfect without ever sinning. Are you with me? You could do that, maybe. I don't know anybody's ever done that except Jesus. You cannot be good enough. And the only problem with being good is a small word we don't hear much anymore, and it's called sin. That's the problem. Sin gets in our way, and the Scripture is very plain about it. Sin will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. You can't do it with sin in your life. I was preaching at a camp meeting, I think in Alabama, I'm not sure where. In fact, I think it was Alabama. Um, and and, and it, it, I know it was Alabama, it was lower Alabama, L.A. Uh, it, it was so hot. I mean, it was one of those, whew, you know, you just, you're preaching in the morning, you're preaching in the evening, and you just, you're just sweating. And just, you know, the only relief we had was we could, we could go late in the afternoon, we could go back to our cottages, and they were air-conditioned. We could lay down, get a nap, rest, you know, get us through the evening service. It was just that kind of, it was, it was hard preaching because it was so hot. So I, I just cherished that two hours in the afternoon where I could take a nap or rest or just do nothing. One day a lady came up to me and she said, Tom, I'm in charge of the third and fourth graders. She had a good many third and fourth graders, like 30 or 40. And she said, um, we meet late in the afternoons. Would you mind coming over tomorrow afternoon and sharing with my third and fourth graders? <laughs> Folks, I had no desire during my rest time to speak to third and fourth graders. Zero. But I said something like, oh, I'd be glad to. <laughs> and I went over, and, and we, were, we were seated on the floor. I, I can see it today. We, there was a big circle of us, the kids, the counselors, and me. And I shared with them about love of Jesus and how Jesus loved them so much and how he wanted to live inside of them and just something like that. And I said, and I, I didn't go long. I knew they, they were tired and I was tired. And I said, why don't we pray? So here's what I want you to do. I want you to fold your hands, and they did. I said, I want you to bow your head like this, and I want you to close your eyes and let me pray. And I started to pray. And as I started, it wasn't long into the prayer before I heard a little girl crying. I looked up and saw the most beautiful little brunette, just probably about a third grader, just, and she started crying. And the more I prayed, the more she cried. And she got louder and louder until she was just sobbing. And so I closed the prayer. We got all the kids out. The counselor was over there trying to calm this little girl down, and she motioned for me to come over, and I did. And she said, I can't get her to stop crying. See if you can talk to her. And I said, honey, you've got you've to stop crying. You've got to tell me what's wrong, what's going on. And I'm thinking, 
You know, what could be wrong with this little girl? She felt guilty for the sin in her life. I'm thinking, how much sin can a third grader have? And she told me this story that, that she, had, she had accepted Jesus that morning. And I said, wonderful. That's, that's a great thing to accept Jesus in your heart. And she said, well, but, but I already sinned this afternoon at lunchtime. And I said, what did you do? She said, I said something about somebody else. And folks, her heart was broken, just broken. I prayed with her, asked God to forgive her. He did. She accepted that. She went on merrily along her way. And I sat there by myself in that room for about an hour, I guess. And I couldn't stop crying. And I kept saying to God, why? Why can't you break adults' hearts like that? When we sin, it doesn't even bother us anymore. We can come to church and sin on Saturday night, come to church on Sunday morning, and nobody will know the difference. Why can't you break adults' hearts like that? Sin is the problem. There has to be some remedy. You cannot be good enough. Second problem I think we have is that, oh, let, me, let me back up one. I'm just going to tell you one more story. Can I go one more story with you? Can I, would you add that to my time? Thank you. My granddaddy was the best man I've ever known. Godly man. He wasn't a preacher. He was a feed salesman. He, he traveled all over South Georgia in his Plymouth. <laughs> Uh, selling feed to feed stores. And uh, just, just, he was a Sunday school teacher, taught Sunday school at the old Patilla Methodist Church. It was in Decatur. It's, it doesn't belong to the Methodist Church anymore. But um, uh, just a powerhouse. I used to love to listen to him pray. He always started praying, our all-wise Heavenly Father. First sermon I ever preached, I got up and I started to pray. Unconsciously, I said, our all-wise Heavenly Father. Just a, just a great man. My grandmother told me a story about him after he died that uh, every Sunday morning he would go down to the DeKalb County Jail and he had a relationship with the jailer and he would bail out the guys that had been thrown in the drunk tank overnight. And there wasn't always somebody there, but most of the time there was. Uh, a wino or something just, just couldn't, you know, and he'd go and he'd pay their fine. And then he'd gather the guys together, if it was one or two or five or six, whatever, he'd gather them together and said, okay, guys, you're free to go. I've, I've paid your fine. You can go now. But he said, if you'll give me 10 minutes, let me talk to you for 10 minutes, I'll give you $5. That's a lot of money back then. And I don't know what they did with it. He didn't know what they did with it. But he said, if you just let me have 10 minutes. And so nobody turned him down. And he always shared Jesus with them, how Jesus could change their lives, how Jesus loved them. I was a freshman at Asbury College when he died, and I drove all the way down the, the day before he died. Spent the night with him that night in the hospital. Just a, just a man that everybody looked up to. We were at the funeral home the next night. It was packed. Children, teenagers, the kids loved him. You'd line up after, at Mr. Scott's Sunday school classroom, and... You didn't interrupt him, never interrupt him, but when the door opened, you better get out of the way because they were making a beeline for granddaddy because they had chiclets in his pocket. He loved children, loved everybody. At the funeral home that night, somebody came up to me and said, Tommy, your, your, daddy was, your granddaddy was such a great man. I said, yes, he was. He said, he was so good. I said, he was the best man I ever knew. He was so good. And then he said these words. 
if he doesn't get into heaven, none of us have a chance. I wasn't very bold back then, and I didn't say anything. But inside I was shouting, no, 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 you don't understand. My granddaddy is in heaven, but it's not because he was good. My granddaddy is in heaven today because he had an intimate, ongoing relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That's why he's in heaven. And that's the only way any of us are going to be in heaven. You can't be good enough. The second thing is you can't earn your way to heaven. You can't buy your way to heaven. I've had people come to me, I, and I ask this question all the time to people. Are you think you're going to heaven? Yeah, I think so. Why do you think you're going to heaven? I go to church every Sunday. That won't get you to heaven. That's a good thing to do, but it won't get you to heaven. I read my Bible every day. Wonderful. Folks, that won't get you to heaven either. It won't do it. I pray every day. Wonderful. Pray for me while you're doing it, but that won't get you to heaven. There's nothing you can do. I have a... My last full-time appointment, uh, as I mentioned, was uh, at Monroe First. Beautiful, wonderful church. Reminds me a lot of this church, except it's a little bit longer aisle, I think. Uh, all the brides came from all over the county to get married in that church because it had such a long aisle. Um, but there was, a, there was a man in that church, not in that church, there was a man in the city, I think he went to the Baptist church, by the name of Herschel Scott. Herschel was voted by some college football magazine. I didn't know there was such a thing. Is the most is the most outstanding football college football fan in America. Everything he owned was red and black. His car, his house, his clothes, everything. Kids could come up to him and sing the Georgia Fight song, and he'd give them fifty cents. You know, I mean, it was just that he was just he was just a, a Georgia fan. There's a there's a wonderful cemetery. By the way, I love cemeteries, but there's a, there's a lovely cemetery there in Monroe, and his, his tomb is there, and it, it was there before he died. They had it all, and they had 90% of the tombstone already filled in. Of course, they didn't fill in when he died or some other things, but this is what it says. You'll love this. Herschel Bulldog Scott. Bulldog born, bulldog bred, here I lie, bulldog dead. And then he had, on, and this was filled in later, of course, 471 consecutive games attended, 60 total bowl games attended. And on the other side, I had a picture, it was in color, red and black, of a Georgia head of a Georgia bulldog, and it said this, how about them dogs? Now, that's just a funny one, but I, I want to tell you another one. I had a member that died, and he was buried, and somebody said, have you seen Mr. So-and-so's so tombstone? I said, no, it, it wasn't there when I buried him. He said, you need to go back and look at it. I said, it's a big cemetery. I'm not sure I can find it. He said, you can't miss it. Here's what it says on the tombstone. I'm not making fun of him. I just prove a point here. Lawyer, churchman, historian, scholar, and author. First honor graduate, Monroe High School, class of 1925. ROTC, United States Army, University of Georgia, 1925-1927. Honor graduate, University of Georgia, class of 1930. North Georgia Methodist Conference Board of Missions for four years, Committee on Archive and History of the Methodist Church for eight years, Delegate to the Annual Conference of the Methodist Church for many years, Trustee, Steward, Sunday School Teacher of the Monroe Methodist Church, Member of the Athens Historical Society, Member of the North Georgia Conference Historical Society, Author of this Trail of Splendor and Glory. Whew. I read those things and I said, those are all good things. 
but not a one of them is going to get him to heaven. Not one. Then I started thinking, what would I want on my tombstone? Now, I don't want a tombstone. Just cremate my body and put the, put the ashes on a trout stream up in North Georgia and just help the trout out or something. You know, it's, That's okay. You may want to talk to me about that later. But uh, I, I don't really want one. But if I did, if, if I had a tombstone, what would I want on it? You ever thought about that? You don't think about weird things like that like I do, I'm sure. Here's what I've come up with, if I was going to have one. Here's what I think I'd put on it. Tom Atkins, born December 16th, 19... You fill in the other two, okay? Met Jesus, December 17th, 1964. Now he's with Jesus. Isn't that enough? That's all it takes. Faith in Christ, faith in Jesus Christ. That's, that's what it's all about. Well, I'm almost through. You guys okay? In the back? I'm going to preach from back there tomorrow. <laughs> See what it's like. Let me give you a couple of scriptures, three scriptures. Tell you a story or two, then I'll quit. <laughs> I promise. You know what a conditional promise is? Remember high school English, conditional promise? It usually starts with the word if. If this takes place, then this will take place. If this doesn't take place, this is not going to take place. Listen to these. Well, the first one's not a conditional, but the other two are. Romans 3.23. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every person, all of us, we're guilty. Second two are conditional promises. 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins, He, meaning God, is faithful to forgive us our sins and cleanse us, purify us from all unrighteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, what he means by that, anyone who accepted Christ into their life, anyone who is in Christ is a brand new creation. The old has passed away or is gone. Behold, all things are become new. That's your birthday. The question I have for you tonight is, are you sure? Listen carefully. Are you sure that when you die, you're going to go to heaven? Are you positive? Are you 100% sure? People tell me all the time, nobody can be 100% sure, except Scripture says you can. It says you can, and you must. First John 5.17 says, These things are written so that you may know that you have eternal life. Not so you think, not so... How can you live in this kind of world we're living in today without knowing that you know? You don't have to worry about death. You don't have to fear death. You know that you... Do you know for sure? I was flying to uh, Lexington, Kentucky from Atlanta several years ago. I was invited to preach chapel service at Asbury College. That's my alma mater, Asbury University now. Uh, it's the most intimidating thing I've ever... I, I'm not intimidated very easily, but... When you're preaching in an auditorium, when all the saints who have been president of the university are already in there, and all your college professors are in the, last, in the first three rows, and they're thinking, I, I was paranoid, they're thinking, he barely got out of my class. <laughs> and now he's preaching to me. But I was flying up there to do that. Dr. Kenlaw was, had been president, was president, and he invited me to come up and preach. And, and I got there early. 
I walked around Hughes Auditorium and just thought, my goodness, what am I doing here? What am I doing here? But before I left to get on the plane, I did something that I advise you never to do. Never do this. It's stupid. But I do it every time I fly. I look at the weather channel before I fly. Just dumb, you know. That's not smart at all. And I happened to see that there was a storm front going from the Gulf all the way up to New England. Here's the storm front. Here's Lexington. Here's Atlanta. And my wife said, you're not going to go. I said, well, I'm going to the airport, and we'll see. I mean, the pilots are wise. They'll know what's going on, you know, and they'll keep up with the weather. And So I got on the plane. It was one of these little small commuter jets back then. And we're, we're, we're on the way up there. We're about halfway there, and the pilot comes on the intercom and says these words. I'd like everybody to be seated and put your seatbelt on. I'll never forget these words. We are in for some inclement weather. What an understatement. Then he came on again a few minutes later, and he said, I'd like the flight attendants to be seated and put your seatbelts on. Now, when you're not getting ready to land, and the pilot tells the flight attendants to buckle up, you better hang on. I've never been in this thing like that. The plane started rocking and rolling. I mean, lightning was popping all over us. The plane was jerking. If we hadn't been seatbelted in, you know, it, just, it was just terrible. And all of a sudden, the plane just dropped. I mean, like a stone. Probably 300 feet, I don't know. Just boom. And honestly, if we hadn't been seatbelted, we'd have been on the ceiling. That's how bad it was. People were crying. People were screaming. I knew. I honestly knew that within five minutes, I'd be dead. The plane was going to crash. And when I came to that conclusion, <laughs> I, got, I got so excited about dying and going to see Jesus. I knew I'd see my granddaddy again. I knew I'd see John Wesley. I, I knew I'd see the... I knew there was not a doubt in my mind. I was almost disappointed when we landed. I tell you that not to brag, but to tell you that you can know. You really, really, really can know. And I promise you I'm going to close with this. Uh, put the picture up, please. Some of you that are old enough will recognize that. If you're younger and don't, just ask somebody else. I can't explain it. Although I do have a book. I do have a book of S&H Green Stamps. These are 10 pop, so it's only, you know, five on page. But I'd want to sell these, but I better keep them, I guess. I, uh, my first appointment was the Gracewood Charge, Gracewood, Georgia, just outside of Augusta. I was three months late getting there because my baby wouldn't come, and I was in Kentucky. And I told the superintendent, I said, I'm not coming until this baby's born. And so they filled in until I got there. And uh, when I got there, lovely parsonage, lovely parsonage. Uh, not much new on the inside, but, but it was lovely. And, and we didn't have any money. I mean, we were broke. I had to pay my, when we got married, my, I did a stupid thing getting married. Not a stupid thing getting married, but a stupid thing marrying when I did, which was before she got out of college. And her dad said, she's all yours now. And, and I paid for hers in my seminary at the same time. Worked loading freight all night long. I don't know how I did it and go to school today, but anyway, we did it. But we were broke. And so 
The word came from on high one day. Thou shalt keep all of the stamps that your wife says to keep. And so I obeyed, and I started keeping S&H green stamps. And I kept them every place you could find. I'm an evangelist, so I'm not very organized. And so I just kept them all over the place, literally. Uh, they were in the, 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 the glove compartment was the first place. I shoved them in there as far as they would go. Uh, then they were on the seat. Then they were, the ones on the dashboard became S&H yellow stamps. You know, and it just, it was just, and the ones on the floor, they were dirty. I'd stepped on them, you know. And, and one day the word came from on high again, bring forth the stamps. And I'm thinking all the way to the car, she will not, she will not divorce me, but she will kill me when she sees the condition these stamps are in. So I went out and gathered all the stamps. I, I remember like yesterday, Susan's sitting at the dining room table with her catalog and books and all these little books. And I just kind of dumped them and ran, you know. And, you know, she almost had to press. You know, they were crinkly, you know. And the, when you filled up one of those books and they were, they were old, they just kind of became an accordion. And it just, it was just, anyway, she got them all together. She called me back in. She says, now I got them. I said, what are you going to do with them? She said, not me. You're going to. I said, what? She said, I've got enough stamps to buy something new for the parsonage. It's not a leftover. It's not somebody else doesn't want it, but it's brand new. It's and she showed me a picture of a crystal lamp. She said, it'll fit really well on this end table. I said, okay, where are we going? She said, not me, you. Go down on Fort Gordon Highway, and there's a store there. And you go into that store. It's SH Green Steps. You go into that store, and you take these. I've got them all together, put a rubber band around them, and I mark this lamp in the catalog. You just go in and say, ma'am, here, here are the books of stamps. Here's the, you understand SH Green Stamps, right? Okay. And so I went and I found it. It was kind of in a little strip mall there. And I walked in. I said, ma'am, here are my books. Here's the catalog. That's what my wife wants. She said, I think we have several of those. Just a minute. <clears throat> she went back in the back, brought a box out. She said, this is a breakable item. If you don't mind, let me open it and make sure it's not broken. I said, that'd be great. She opened it up. And she pulled out. I mean, even I appreciated it. The most beautiful crystal lamp. I mean, it really was pretty. And I started thinking about it. The dumbest thing, to me at least, was that somehow that lady was willing to take those ugly, torn, worthless, I mean, you couldn't put them on a letter. It wouldn't help. Terrible stamps. I mean, they were. She took those and exchanged, gave, in exchange gave me a brand new lamp. You remember? I know you do. You remember the name of the store, the only store that you could take the stamps in. It was called a Redemption Center. <laughs> That's our Redemption Center, the cross of Jesus Christ, where he shed his blood so that we could all be forgiven, so that we could all know without a doubt that we're going to go to heaven when we die. That's our redemption center. Are you sure? Would you bow your heads with me, please? <clears throat> Lord God, we, um, <clears throat> we come to you tonight. I don't know what people are thinking. I don't know what they're thinking inside. There's some people have some things that are quiet to themselves. Nobody else knows either. But I pray tonight, as you're speaking to us right now, 
that we would have ears to hear and a mind to understand what you want from us. Do we have that intimate, ongoing relationship with you? You know if we do or not. Do we have that? Lord Jesus, I just pray that you would help us to be bold enough to make a decision tonight that our lives could be different. It could be more like Jesus. You've called us to be holy because you're holy. Lord, we pray that our sins would be forgiven and that we would be cleansed and we'd be made holy and pure. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's the invitation tonight. Very simple, but it's kind of three parts, I guess. If you've never made a decision for Jesus Christ, never asked him to come into your life, it's for you. Secondly, you say, yes, I've made a decision. I'm a Christian. Um, But I'm not living a Christian life. I'm pretty good at faking it. I want to recommit my life to Christ tonight. I'm so glad God let me do that. It still lets me do that on a continual basis. And maybe, i just make it a little broader for you. <clears throat> maybe you've got a child or somebody that doesn't know Jesus. And maybe you just need to be praying about that. I don't know. Maybe, maybe something I'm not even preaching on, but you need to come. I share with you this morning that we don't string out altar calls. We're going to sing that wonderful song, uh, you know, All to Jesus I Surrender. <laughs> I Surrender All. Not partially, but all. And I'm going to invite you to come and kneel here. You know, the, the posture of kneeling is a posture of humility. That I can't do it, but you can. I won't, nobody's going to bug you. Nobody's going to pray with you unless you put out your hand. You leave you alone. we got time. Just put out your hand and say, I'd like you to pray with me. I'll do that, or your pastor will. Um, but if you, if you don't feel like you can come, I pray you'll do it in the pew. But it's something about stepping out in faith, walking on water kind of thing, stepping out in faith, saying, I, I'm not going to be embarrassed about it. I'm just going to go forward and kneel and pray.